Hi friends, welcome to the Wild Side. I'm Steve Hall. A retired educator recently reminded us that the years spent in college can be some of the best. She talked about the freedom you're given and how you are encouraged to inquire and explore. So it seemed only fitting that the very next morning we met up with a graduate student who is inquiring and exploring and searching for a very tiny Punch. and often elusive cave snail. The water rushing out of this cave is a primary supply for those living in the Van Leer area. But many years ago, the mouth of Columbia Caverns was sealed, and it is only with special permits and landowner permission that University of Tennessee graduate student Nick Gladstone is going to gain access for all of us. So today we're going to be looking for cave obligate snails, snails that live in caves and nowhere else. And uh, the species that we're after is called Helicodiscus bari, but the common name is the raccoon foil snail. Nick may be one of the only students in the state using a power tool to saw his way into one of the places necessary for writing his master's thesis. Warver. So my thesis title is entitled Species Delimitation in Phylogeography of Cave-Dwelling Helicodiscid Snails in Eastern North America. Or to keep it simple, super small cave snails. They are very hard to find, and when James. we do find them, it's probably uh, the, the best case scenario um, if we find them alive, because we want to preserve their genetic tissue uh, for later analysis. Nick's research team includes his girlfriend, an undergrad in ecology and evolutionary biology, a seasoned cave explorer, and a University of the South biology professor. Ron We're aiming to visit caves sort of from the Alabama to the Kentucky borders and all along in between to get a better handle on all the biological diversity that's in caves across the middle of the state. This is the type locality for the species, which is where the species was first found and subsequently described. And so we are going back here today to see if it is still there. The last time it was recorded from this cave was in 1962. And so this cave has not been inventoried biologically in quite some time. And so we're hoping Danza. to find these snails as well as just do a general bioinventory, look for all of the uh, invertebrate species that we find as well Andrew. as the of invertebrate species like salamanders and bats. In order to get where Nick wants to go, Flexibility and back strength combined with a willingness to crawl through cold water and a cramped tunnel with confidence that it will lead to a larger portion of the cave. I put my back up against the wall or up against the ceiling. Um, the water is maybe a foot below me. Eventually you'll get down to a hands and knee crawl um, farther and farther, maybe about um, a couple hundred feet into the cave. And then it opens up um, quite significantly. I'd say it's about um, some odd 30, 40 feet high. Salamanders are one of the first living things we see as the team divides to cover the largest part of the cave. I want to search every little cavity of the system because it's taken us months to get access to here and now that we finally are in, this is probably the one and only time I'll be here um, in the duration of my, my time, my graduate program. And so it's, uh, it's very important that I find what I'm looking for. It takes trained and experienced eyes to see the snails. In Tennessee, they can range from one millimeter to a hundred times that size. But Nick Johnny. is looking for some of the smallest. It's always fun to play the, is this a speck of dirt or <laughs> is this a snail game? He's on the winning side as he quickly begins to find snails, though he's not yet certain if these are the right ones. They have a very unique um, sculpture to the shell that is uh, very characteristic of the species. And we'll go back, look under the microscope, see if we see that sculpture, and then hopefully we'll 
have the species. While actually in the process of collecting the snails, Nick recognizes and readily admits that this type research will require some of the snails to be sacrificed. We do um, take from the population, but in most cases, as I've uh, as I've learned, um, that doesn't have too detrimental of an impact on the population itself. Hopefully we'll be sacrificing a few to save many. It only takes about an hour and a half, and then with several organisms safely placed inside test tubes of alcohol, we turn back toward the entrance. I hope I found what I think I found, but I, I can't be sure. Returning to the light of day, it's a little easier to see what all has been collected. To show you just how small the snails really are, Nick is able to place 14 of them on a third of a dime. This is the gold standard of the raccoon snail species, both in terms of morphology and DNA. We found some snails that looked, looked right, Tag, but um, there's a similar species that uh, looks, their shells look very similar, so um, we'll have to look at them more closely to know for sure. Yeah, it was a great trip. A lot of uh, biology that wasn't known to be here that we've now confirmed and we'll take a closer look at back in the lab. Uh, and also it's just fantastic to get into caves that haven't been visited very much. This one's been gated for years and years. Apparently no one's visited for a long time. I only saw one small patch of graffiti that had dates from the 1960s. So it's clear that people don't get in here much anymore and that makes it a great sort of reference comparison to other caves that see more visitation compared to the places that don't. Part of Nick's research is centered on finding snails of the same species in other caves. So in the same county, several miles away, researchers make their way here to Ruskin. We're looking for the exact same thing. So despite them being um, quite significantly geographically separated, they are um, somewhat morphologically identical. And that being said, um, it appears as though what we are finding is the same species. And so that uh, kind Thank of you. in lies the question of are they the same species or is it is it multiple species just with different um, patterns of genetic variation um, despite identical morphology. Once again, salamanders are the first living things we see, but rather quickly, we also see signs there may be bats. And this is still the time of year where the females may be nursing their little babies, and you, we certainly don't want to disturb them uh, if that's the case. Proceeding cautiously, we quickly retreat without any photographic evidence of what we saw. As we got farther back, we encountered six small gray bats, which are a federally endangered species, and we didn't find it best to uh, go under them. We didn't want to disturb them at all, so we just went ahead and head back. So it was a pretty short trip, but uh, you know, it was still a beautiful cave. Today wasn't completely unsuccessful because we had the Columbia Caverns that we went to. Um, and like you said, even though we didn't find anything biologically that was that uh, significant here, it was still fun to explore a little bit. When Nick returned to UTK, he was able to confirm that the snails from Columbia Caverns were the species he came to find. I'm Ezekiel Noel Hall on the Wild Side. Along with Nick's thesis, the team will provide all their findings to state biologists to give them a better picture of biodiversity in Middle Tennessee caves. And the people of Van Leer should be pleased to hear that the happy biological community that had not been researched since 1962 indicates that the water is still remarkably clean. Howdy, everybody. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, okay, cool with the sub. Star Eater, uh, Hellrath, Warber, Eitano, Chuck, Mog. Mr. Tona, Captain, thank you guys for the subs. Thank you for the donations already. 
Um, Ron John, appreciate it. $221 worth of donations. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking to Nick Gladstone. You saw him in that video. I know it was like a longer intro video again. But um, LX, Ronnie, thank you. Nick is a PhD student at the School of Fisheries, Aquaculture, and Aquatic Sciences at Auburn University at the Southeast Conservation Genetics Lab. Um, he studies, again, you guys saw it in the video, um, he studies snails. Well, he studies mollusks. He does research with terrestrial and freshwater snails and their conservation. Turns out, hey, thank you so much. Um, turns out freshwater snails are having a really hard time. Um, I was not aware of, of the conservation challenges that they face, but reading up on this website, fresh water mollusk conservation society website which by the way is where your donations are going today voyage thank you for the five dollars only 26 percent of freshwater snails in north america out of 700 species are considered stable um the rest are either 10 percent are considered extinct 40 percent endangered 15 percent threatened 10 percent vulnerable um thank you for the subs so yeah, we're going to talk about that today. So we're going to talk about freshwater snails. We're going to talk about terrestrial snails. We're going to talk about Nick's research. And we're going to talk about Koopa Steve because he tips $77.77. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk to him about his research um, and about the conservation challenges that snails face and why they're important um, and why we want to support their conservation. Teetle with $20. Thank you so much. 324.18. You can probably tell I'm tripping over my words a little bit um, because I know so little. <laughs> I know so I know I know probably less about this topic. This and like the um, the leafy sea dragon podcast. I know the least about these two these two subjects. So I am tripping over my words a little bit, but that's why Nick is gonna be here with us today um, to talk to us. Newt, thank you for the eight months. Um, so I'm really excited to learn about it. I hope you guys are excited too. Some of my favorite podcasts are the ones that we, uh, the ones where we bring in the underrepresented species in conservation, the ones that aren't talked about very much, the ones that don't get as much research done um, as, you know, our, our big charismatic megafauna does. Max, thank you for the 434. We're at $333.52 for the Freshwater Mollusk Conservation Society. If you're not familiar, you can do Command Org Jude Bracey with the $10 snails. Thank you. Um, essentially, the, we'll just get, we'll just say FMCS uh, is a Organization dedicated to the conservation of and the advocacy of freshwater mollusks, North America's most imperiled animals. Um, they allow membership for those who advocate for conservation, um, serve as a conduit of information about freshwater mollusks, promote science-based management of freshwater mollusks, and promote and facilitate education and awareness about freshwater mollusks and their function in freshwater ecosystems. Um, lots. Thank you for the eight months. So, your donations are going there today. We'll talk to Nick more about why he chose that organization. But um, other small things for how the podcast runs. If you have a question, do hashtag ask followed by your question, please. It will send it to a bot for me and I can read those questions to Nick um, as we go along. And then 
If you watch throughout the whole podcast, you will have the opportunity to take a quiz at the end of the podcast. Um, the quiz is five questions and you get 20 seconds per question. It is just based on the conversation that I have with Nick today. Um, if you win the quiz, which you do by getting as many questions right as you can the fastest, um, so you have to click the answer really fast, um, then if you're not a sub to my channel, I'll gift you a sub to my channel. If you are already a sub, I will gift you a sub to a channel of your choice, or um, you can ask me to donate an additional $5 to um, FMCS today. Cool? I also have some... Oh, I have a big announcement um, for the end of the podcast that I'm very, very excited about. Um, today we are sponsored by Fireball. Um, we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast as well. Thank you, Fireball. Trev with $10. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Am I missing anything or are we ready to go here? I think we're ready to go. All right, give me a second. Um, I will be back with our guest. Yes, cool, peace. Could you turn your volume down on your device just a little bit? How's that? I should be good. Okay. Um, Roshan, thank you for the 20. Um, chat, let me know if if we got issues with audio, but so far it looks like we're looks like we're all set up. Um, hi Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, this is another guest, you guys, that I stumbled upon on Twitter. Um, a really cool find because I was telling him while we did our test call that I know so little um, about mollusks. I said that in the intro as well. Um, so I'm really excited to bring this onto the podcast. I, I like doing ones where we have some of those underrepresented species in conservation. So I'm super happy. Yeah, well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Someone said they like your shirt. I also like your shirt. Snails. Yeah, I thought I would... Uh... Get all the snail gear out for today. Nice, perfect. Um, okay, so if you want to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your research, and then we'll talk about um, FMCS after that. Sure. Yeah, so uh, I'm a doctoral student at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. I previously did my undergrad and master's at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. So here I work um, 
at Auburn University, but the lab that I work in is also affiliated with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Mm -hmm. So my advisor is the director of the Southeastern Conservation Genetics Laboratory uh, for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, Dr. Nathan Whelan. And so I've worked for him for about a year now, and uh, he does a lot of work with freshwater snail conservation, and that's um, along the same lines of the work that I'm doing as well. So uh, working with, uh, I'm, I guess I'm an evolutionary biologist by trade, mm -hmm. but we kind of wow. interlace all of the work that we do with conservation and uh, policy considerations as well. Got it. Very cool. Um, and you selected Freshwater Mollusk Conservation Society um, as the organization receiving the donations today. We're at $378.52. Um, but before we really uh, started our conversation, can you tell us why you chose that organization and what they do? Yeah, so um, I'm actually fairly new to working with uh, freshwater snails. Um, I did a lot of my previous work with land snails. Um, and so to me, uh, that's kind of a really big jump, but to any normal person working from snails to slightly different snails isn't really that big of a jump. Mm -hmm. But um, the more I've learned about freshwater snails and you know their conservation needs, um, the more I've just been impassioned to continue to work with these animals because they really are the, I guess, the most imperiled group within North America. Right. And uh, mollusks more uh, generally are considered the most imperiled group of organisms on the planet. And uh, just by the numbers of recorded extinctions and uh, relative amount of imperilment uh, per species diversity in a group. And so um, FMCS is a great organization. Uh, I've, I've been a member for about two years now. Um, they do a lot of work uh, across private and uh, public sector, working with uh, captive breeding programs, really just kind of getting fundamental research programs of certain imperiled species off the ground, um, getting more information about, you know, where these animals are, their geographic distribution, their ecology, you know, what functions do they have within their environment, and uh, the biodiversity associated with these different ecosystems um, and snails and mussels and, and things like that. And so I think they're a great organization, and uh, every dollar counts toward more of that awesome work. Yeah, that's great. And can you tell me why snails? Like, how did, how did you get into studying snails? Have you always been into them? Did you fall into it? Uh, I think it was something that I fell into. Okay. Um, and, and so when I was an undergrad, I really just wanted to get uh, some kind of research experience under my belt. And I, I, I tried to communicate with a few professors at the University of Tennessee where I was working at the time. And uh, nothing was really landing for me. And then I kind of stumbled upon a research project working with um, kind of the urban ecology of land snails. And so I, I, I spoke to the person who was offering that position. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, I've, I've gotten more and more interested in snails over the last few years. And I think you'll find them to be uh, interesting as well. And, and sure enough, you know, I worked with them for a long time, uh, for about two years, three years uh, in my undergraduate program. And uh, then I had some kind of, I, I guess you could call it an existential crisis of, oh, geez, you know, I've been working with snails, you know, my entire college career. Mm -hmm. That's maybe not the best in terms of, uh, you know, what I can get a job doing in the future. And so I, I tried to reach out to other biologists, participate in other programs. And uh, that's how I got involved in cave biology, which I, I just saw you show a clip of right. uh, some of the cave work that we've been doing. And, uh, you know, I reached out to these cave biologists. I thought the work that they were doing was really exciting. And uh, they were particularly doing work with uh, cave salamanders and fishes. 
And I was really enthusiastic about that. I reached out to them. I told them a little bit about my background and, and they, and then I, I asked if I could have a job and they said, whoa, 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 uh, you work with snails. We would love you to work with subterranean snails. And so I was like, ah, okay. And, then I, and I kept, I kept working with them. And, uh, I, I think early on, uh, in, in anyone's biology career, you want to be organism focused because that's what draws you into biology. You know, you're interested in the animals. And so I was wanting to work with the more charismatic, the fun animals, you know, these, these crazy creatures in, in subterranean systems like salamanders, bats, right. fish. And uh, then along the way, you know, I, I kind of became more question oriented. And then I realized that snails were really useful in the context of asking really great questions in biology uh, pertaining to evolutionary biology, ecology. And then ultimately they are very imperiled. And so it all loops back to conservation. Right. And so I just, uh, I fell into it and uh, I, I couldn't get out. And so here I am. That's very cool. <laughs> Um, anonymous tip $250, Archer tip wow. $5, uh, so we're at $628 and 52 cents. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, the next question I was going to ask you is actually a question that we got from the chat already. Um, you Mac asked, why do we need them? So why is their conservation important? Sure. So I think that's a great question. Um, I, I always think that it's interesting that when when considering conservation, it's always, you know, what's in it for us? You know, it's it's never just about conserving things for conser uh, conservation's sake. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it really is helpful, especially in getting uh, public and private funds to convince people of their importance. And so with snails, you know, I think that, you know, I, I guess I can break it into both terrestrial and freshwater systems. And so um, I think that in terrestrial systems, you know, they serve, uh, you know, just a, a pivotal role in uh, the kind of ecological food web of, you know, uh, just just about every ecosystem on the planet, um, minus, let's say, Antarctica. Um, they are, uh, where they occur, they occur in sometimes hyperabundance, and they're very speciose in a lot of areas that are uh, associated with kind of uh, karst topography, which is a, a kind of geologic formation associated with, uh, like, limestone. Okay. Um, all of the, uh, the, the shell material that they have is based on calcium carbonate. And so they need to have a lot of calcium rich environment to build those big sturdy shells. Mm -hmm. And so where they are, um, I, I think that they serve as a really useful kind of flag marker for how healthy, relatively speaking, that ecosystem is. Right. And so right. for example, in a terrestrial ecosystem, I work in a lot of uh, deciduous forest environments in the Southeastern United States. And you see in old growth forests, for example, that, you know, that kind of the artifacts of the shells that are left behind of, of formerly live land snails, um, you can kind of pick them up and get a good track record of how many species are there and, and maybe get a good idea of the abundance of each individual species. And it just so happens that in old growth forests, you see a lot more biodiversity, a lot more abundance of species comparatively to second growth forests that have been disturbed um, via human disturbance, maybe like clear cutting or uh, highway developments, uh, subdivision development, things like that. And so then later down the road, you see more and more disturbance and you truly see this, uh, this kind of perfect gradient of diversity and abundance of land snails. And so they really serve as really good flagship markers of the relative health of an ecosystem. Um, I think they're really pivotal uh, component of the, the food web as well, because they are such kind of rich 
in calcium animals, um, I mean, lots of higher order fauna like birds and other vertebrate animals need that calcium material in order to uh, deposit into their eggs, for example. Yes. And so really important with regard to the food web, they also serve in assisting with decomposition of the forest floor, the decaying organic matter at the bottom of the forest floor, leaf litter, other decaying organic matter. And so they're really pivotal parts of the ecosystem and, and they've been here an awfully long time. And so usually uh, if an animal occurs in such hyperabundance in an ecosystem and is relatively speciose in an ecosystem, they are safely assumed to have some, some kind of role in that, in that environment. And so uh, I, I think that those are the, the primary kind of convincers as to why you should care about these animals. And with freshwater systems, it's really analogous because uh, you could substitute the decomposition of lip, leaf litter on uh, the forest floor with uh, grazing of algae on the bottoms of stream beds or river beds. Mm -hmm. And they also are pivotal in the food webs of freshwater ecosystems as well for fish and other riverine birds. And uh, they are also occur at an astonishing abundance sometimes on the bottoms of stream and river beds as well. And so they, they uh, can accumulate up to 90% of the biomass of, of a single stream or river system. Really? It's because they occur at such high abundance. Oh my gosh. And so, they they they're here and uh and they need our help yeah no so kidding. it's always, it's, it's always astonishing how kind of like interconnected you could be with animals when when you're like a kid you know it's like flipping the rocks and you know you see them and you you know they're there but you don't really think much of them and but you know they're, they're pretty much in every ecosystem you could think of like yeah. i said that's very cool um so lots of reasons there chat a couple people said indicator species yeah um we've we've talked about that before on the podcast so thank you for, mm -hmm. for bringing that in um slus tipped a hundred dollars crowway tipped ten dollars um so 743 dollars and 52 cents um i've seen a couple questions in the chat um and it's probably good before we bef well we've already started the conversation but before we get deeper into the conversation to make some um differentiations for uh people's understanding so a couple of the questions um like what what defines a mollusk is a snail the same thing as a slug um right let's start with what defines a mollusk so mollusks i think are just an incredibly diverse group of organisms so it's hard for me to to nail down a, a, a few defining characteristics but when i think of mollusks i guess i'll, I'll just kind of name the more sure. uh simple simple names of, of them so we have typically we have gastropods which are snails and slugs and so that kind of uh division of snails versus slugs um slugs are snails without shells and so they're all snails and they're all gastropods and so you have gastropods and then you have bivalves which are clams and mussels and then in the oceanic environments you also have cephalopods um, like cuttlefish and octopuses and squid, oh, wow. and okay. you have uh, an incredible diversity of what we consider micro mollusks, which are these kind of uh, deep sea faring. Um, they almost look like little uh, little worm type creatures. Um, there's just a, a, a huge wealth of biological diversity in uh, mollusca, and it's the the second most biodiverse group behind arthropods, which is insects, yeah. crustacean, and so on. That is. That's a lot of species. I didn't realize that it was that broad. Um, very cool. 
And so I was reading a little bit up on the website about, uh, actually I was reading about mussels in particular, but <laughs> so what are the main conservation threats? I know that they're anth uh, anthropogenic causes, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? Is it, is it pollution? Is it habitat loss? Is it invasive species is it, or is it all of the above? I think it's kind of all of the above. And so there are certain uh, particular drivers of extinction and it's all, it's all very ecosystem dependent. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, kind of a classical example that I like to use for land snails is in kind of the Hawaiian archipelago. There are some of the most beautiful types of land snails. They're all uh, arboreal, they're all tree snails. Mm -hmm. And I guess in Hawaiian folklore and native Hawaiian folklore, they refer to them as kind of the gems of the forest. And you don't really think of snails as being very beautiful, but uh, if you look up some pictures of Hawaiian tree snails, you'll see these really ornate yellow, uh, amber, orange, reds, um, these beautiful striped snails that all just kind of dwell in the trees. Wow. And uh, almost 75% of them are extinct. And we are losing them just rapidly. And you'll see uh, here recently a lot of articles from uh, Nat Geo and Scientific American trying to, uh, you know, just document the, the lasting biodiversity that we have in Hawaii with, with, uh, with land snails. And the main, one of the main drivers of extinction in that scenario is kind of a failed attempt of biocontrol uh, that humans brought into Hawaii. And so there was a species called the giant African lance. Yes. And it was brought into Hawaii as a food item and also in the pet trade. Mm -hmm. And it started to kind of get out of their enclosures. People would let them go. People would uh, kind of mismanage their, their rearing efforts of them for food. And they uh, reproduce rapidly. And they clog entire roadways. They're, they're very big animals. Right. And so... Uh, in order to control that, in the 1940s, I believe, we took our carnivorous snail that's native to the southeastern U.S., particularly Florida, Georgia, some parts of Alabama, um, called the rosy wolf snail. And so it's one of uh, several carnivorous snails that eat other snails in, in the U.S. And we took thousands and thousands of them and just kind of carpeted Hawaii with these snails in the hope that they would eat the larger snail and get rid of it, and then you know that would be a problem solved. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't that simple because the I guess the rosy wolf snail found that the bigger snail was more difficult to eat, and it just started to eviscerate all of the native species. Yeah, and and so it has just uh, nearly single-handedly wiped species off the the island as we know it. Oh. and and so like I said, about seventy-five percent of all of those species are gone. Um, when it comes to freshwater species, um, a lot of the biodiversity that we have in North America is particularly in the southeast, uh, where I am in Alabama and Tennessee. Um, we have about 700 freshwater snails and about 300 mussels in North America. That's crazy. And That's yeah, and, and yeah, and so with mussels in particular, we have the largest mussel biodiversity on Earth in North America. Um, so there are about 900 species of mussels globally, and 300 of them are in the U.S., or just more than 300. And then with 
freshwater snails, we have about 4,000 described species and about 700 or just over 700 are in North America. Mm -hmm. So we have about 25% and 34% uh, of the freshwater mollusk biodiversity on the globe. And uh, so that's, that's a lot yeah. of species to deal with. And unfortunately, as you just mentioned, kind of the statistics on the FMCS site uh, a lot of them are not doing so well. Mm -hmm. And so for that 700 freshwater snails that are in North America, uh, over 10% of them are extinct or presumed extinct. And so they're gone. Right. And then another 65% are at some level of risk of extinction, whether it be vulnerable, imperiled, critically imperiled. And, and these are all safely underestimated. Mm -hmm. And so there, it, it's probably double the number of extinctions uh, globally. And within North America, it, it's really hard to say. Um, there are safely about 70, 75 extinctions documented, um, but we also are rediscovering species um, through additional survey efforts. Like my advisor uh, about a decade ago rediscovered a species that hadn't been seen in about 80 years. Oh, wow. I mean, How cool. And so, yeah, he, uh, he was actually, I think, on uh, NPR's Science Friday for rediscovering that species that was just kind of lost to science, nice. um, okay. presumably. Yeah, so a little spotlight for snail conservation here and there. Um, but yeah, they're all they're all imperiled, um, or most all are imperiled. And for freshwater ecosystems, I mean, I, I think it's the the kind of uh, D all of the above answer um, from previously. It's it's uh, dam construction. It's uh, habitat loss in general. It's water pollution. It's channelization of streams and riverbeds um, that causes, uh, you know, just a slew of detrimental impacts to these these freshwater ecosystems. It's uh, it's all kind of compounding issues, and they're all kind of interrelated one way or another. And so it's really hard for for a specific species to to kind of pinpoint a reason. Right. Um, but a lot of these species aren't very widely distributed, and so a single truck that turns over on a highway and you know spills some industrial affluent into a riverbed can can literally wipe out uh, an entire species oh, um, because nice. they're they're so um kind of like shortly spread yeah. they're they're very yeah, they're very concentrated in in, in specific places right. and because they're so uh, they're so narrowly ranged narrowly distributed mm -hmm. um there needs to be an active amount of targeted conservation efforts for a lot of these species mm -hmm. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, Tano tipped $10, Monkaroo tipped $50, um, Anonymous tipped $20, worth $823.57. Um, thank you guys so much. So we have lots and lots of questions that have come through here. Um, I'm trying to find... Oh, lots of questions about slugs and snails. So he essentially said that slugs are snails without shells, so they're... Correct. Yeah. Um, so there's your answer to that. There's a bunch of questions about that. Um, so Syed Rahman asked, how do invasive species affect freshwater snails? Right. So there are a few, a handful of freshwater snails that are known to be invasive in the U.S. Um, I, I'm not too familiar with the freshwater snail invaders more so than I am the freshwater mussels. Okay. And so, for example, the uh, the zebra mussel mm -hmm. is an incredibly successful invader in North America. 
and I, I, I can't remember exactly if it's kind of a Euro-Asian distributed species in its native range, um, but I think from, from one way or another, uh, it, it was brought here, I think just on the bottoms of, of, of seafaring vessels and or as a food item, um, as many other invasive species are. And they're so successful in the ecosystems where they land that they, they really just kind of choke out native populations because they just grow so rapidly and rapidly and outcompete all of the other uh, the native fauna that aren't used to having that, that kind of extra competition um, that it's never seen, you know, its entire evolutionary history. And right. so another is the Asian clam, um, which you can find, I think, pretty much everywhere you look in, yeah. in the West. We've seen both of these on stream chat. I, I showed these on stream not too long ago when I was at that uh, at that lake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They uh, they are everywhere. And uh, my my fiance, which you actually just saw in that video that you uh, you started at the introduction. Okay. Oh, um, well, well, yeah. Girlfriend then fiance oh. now. Okay. Um, yeah. She she works with freshwater mussels, and I work with freshwater snails, and so we're kind of uh, the the perfect pair. There you go. And uh, he is working with. Uh, some aspect of ecophysiology with freshwater clams right now and how they could potentially outcompete freshwater mussels where they land. Very interesting. Um, thank you for that question. Okay, um, so there's our invasive species question. This one is a little bit different, um, but Bruce71 asked, why are snails so slimy? Uh, so I, I think the, the main mechanism for why they're so slimy is that they they secrete mucus in order to facilitate their movement. And so they kind of just slime themselves up in order to kind of push themselves along surfaces. Um, they need to constantly have kind of a layer of moisture around their bodies or else they'll, they'll dry up. And so I, I saw someone uh, in the introduction ask something like, why, why does salt uh, Yes. destroy or kill snails so quickly and it's just because it, it so rapidly dehydrates them because salt uh, draws out water mm -hmm. and so it's just kind of an immediate dehydration of the snail and uh, clearly if you've ever done that which I don't advise you to do that um, it's not it's not a great site and so they need to constantly be surrounded by mucus in order to to kind of push along whatever uh, surface they're, they're living on got it um Okay, this is a hard question. They always ask this question to our guests. Um, do you have a favorite species of snail? Ugh. I I don't know. I, I, I think that I'm probably very biased, but uh, about a year ago, I co-discovered and described a new species of freshwater snail. Whoa. And so um, in, in the cave ecosystems that we work in, um, it, is, it is very common Kind of really surprisingly to a lot of people that these unexplored ecosystems also have unexplored aspects of biodiversity and so you can go in flip a rock and then you can find a new species mm -hmm. and it's uh it was a very exciting moment for me and it was actually the first uh freshwater subterranean snail species found in the state of tennessee and so we named it after the state of tennessee we named it the tennessee cave snail and so I, I guess I officially co-described, co-discovered a species, and uh, it has a warm place in my heart. That's awesome. Will I find pictures of that if I look up? Or is is it one of the pictures of your freshwater snails on your website? 
or not? Yeah, so if you go to the photo library, I think it's that first picture you'll see. Oh, here you go, chat. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I think that if you just type in Tennessee cave snail or something like that, uh, a better picture will come up from a colleague of mine who is a, a much better photographer than I am. Um, SMK tipped $30, Tyler tipped $20, Yeah, tipped $10, thank you. Um, $883 and 57 cents, that's amazing. Um, that's always a really hard question for, for people to answer, but that's a really cool answer. Um, so thank you for asking. Um, let's see. Oh, we got a salt question here that we answered. Um, don't do it. Don't do it. I know I'm smiling, but don't do it. Right. Um, super tip $25. Thank you. That brought us to over 900, $908. Um, you asked, do snails carry diseases? Yes. So a lot of land snails and freshwater snails are vectors for smaller parasitic organisms like trematodes, nematodes, um, other bacterial viral pathogens. Um, I think that uh, the, the most familiar one that I'm, I'm aware of is in Florida, uh, the giant African land snail uh, that I mentioned earlier is also a big problem for Florida. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, there's this kind of anecdotal story about it that I'm not really sure if it's true. I, I can't remember uh, all the details, but essentially this child went with his grandparents to Africa um, and he took a few of them home with him as pets. Okay. And then his grandparents didn't like them anymore and he just kind of had to let them go in his backyard in Florida. Uh -huh. And I don't know how they, they checked these animals. Maybe it was a different time where people just, you know, could bring whatever across right. uh, continental borders. But um, he let them go. And uh, because all land snails are hermaphroditic, they just need one other uh, individual to be a successful mating partner. Would you mind defining and, hermaphroditic for? Yeah, yeah. So uh, hermaphroditic organisms have both male and female reproductive anatomy. And so some of them are able to self fertilize. Um, I don't think land snails often do that because it leads to uh, genetic issues down the road. And so it's much more, uh, it, it's a much more successful strategy to find at least one individual to mate with. And it can be uh, any individual because they have both working parts. Okay. And so um, because land snails are hermaphroditic, uh, I think in every, in every case that I'm aware of, um, it's especially easy for species when uh, distributed into a non-native environment to at least have some chance of successful propagation because all they need is two yeah. um, and there's no kind of sex issue involved. And so um, the giant African land snail is kind of uh, an invader in a lot of different environments. Um, I know that it has been introduced to uh, Madagascar and adjacent Islandic nations uh, near Madagascar. I know that it's in a lot of Pacific Island nations. I know that it is in the US, in Florida, in California. I know that it's in Brazil and other South American countries. Uh, they do really well in tropical environments. Right. And uh, they carry, I think it is a trematode that is a vector for um, another uh, more like human relevant pathogen or parasite called the, the rat lungworm. 
and it can cause uh, a variety of, of kind of human disease issues down the road. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I have that right, but I, I'm pretty sure it's something lungworm related to the giant African land snail. It looks like it's right. I just I just typed it in. Um, Daniel, thank you for the 25. Slez tipped another $100 um, that got us over our 1K goal. So we're at $1,033.57. Thank you so much. Um, that was a great question as well. Um, White Angel asked, what is their favorite food? I think that probably depends on the species, but I, you want to talk about your favorites maybe? I don't, I don't know. What uh, yeah, so, so really, generally, um, land snails, um, they can either be herbivorous or carnivorous. And so there are a handful of species in North America that are molluscivores that specifically predate on other snails. Um, like the rosy wolf snail that I mentioned previously that was introduced to Hawaii. And there are a few native species in Alabama and Tennessee that I know of that are also uh, molluscivores. And wow. then typically almost... I've never even heard uh, of that. You know, heard that yeah, yeah. So uh, I, you see kind of snails attached to each other sometimes. And I remember my fiance picking them up and saying, oh, they're, they're mating. And I was like, no, that one's eating the other one. And oh, no. Went, ah, and I like, dropped it. <laughs> and so... Um, then there are, uh, the, the vast majority are herbivores, and so they eat kind of decaying, uh, woody organic matter, they eat leaf litter, they can eat vegetation, and so they're, uh, if you've never seen a snail eat before, there are some just like adorable videos of them kind of like munching on lettuce or other kind of uh, leafy green type materials. And then in freshwater environments, they'll eat algae, they'll eat um, other kind of bottom, uh, dwelling kind of uh, slime mold and uh, bacterial mat growth on the bottoms of rocks. Mm -hmm. So a wide variety. Um, mm -hmm. Or thank you for the $30. Echo with $10.43. Erica tipped $50. Thank you. Um, okay, cool. Thank you for that question. Um, <laughs> G-Dog asked, if you could be a snail, what kind would you be? Uh, I don't know if I can easily answer that question because all snails are doing so bad and I, I know that we're all kind of not doing great because of uh, the world right now, but I don't know if I would want to trade my currently bad place for an even worse bad place as a snail, so yeah. uh, opt not to answer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you for the question with the depressing turn. Um, okay, Ugh. let's see. A couple other ones. Nemo's asked, can you tell us about colorful sea snails? There are snails everywhere. You yeah, so everywhere. Um, I don't know too much about marine species in general, but I do know that yesterday actually was, um, I guess, World Sea Slug Day. I did not and know that. And so sea slugs are the kind of affectionate term for what are called nudibranchs. And so it's N-U-D-I-B-R-A-N-C-H. Uh, and these are some of the most beautiful, uh, every color uh, combo you could imagine, animal. Um, and they're so, so adorable. Um, they're, they're teeny, teeny, tiny little animals, but they can come in striking navies, purples, gold, ruby, just any any color you can think of and they're all they're all incredibly interesting animals um i kind of tease with evelyn and say that after i'm done with my phd with working with freshwater things i'll, I'll 
I'll kind of complete the full circle and do marine systems. Yeah. Um, who knows? That would be pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure if those are the ones that you were talking about, but those are beautiful. I pulled up some pictures. Um, that's those are really really cool. Um, okay, let's see. Leo said, but without some invasive species, wouldn't the whole ecosystem fail? It's an interesting question. I I think I think invasive is a much more uh, concrete term, whereas maybe a non-native species is more of a relative term. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, when we, when we speak to invader species, we speak to those species that are introduced into an environment which they are not natively originating in, and that they have a successful uh, propagule in order to produce more and more individuals and that they have a detrimental impact. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this kind of three term uh, for invasive species, uh, I, I, really, I really don't know if I could say that some invasive species are good. I think some invasive species have cascading effects that might relate to some native species being better off than others. But I think ultimately most invasive species tend to not have good impacts. Um, Michael tipped $10. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for that question too and that distinction. Um, I've seen a couple questions about shells. I know that you've talked about that a little bit, but Neon asked, what's the primary reason that snails have shells on their backs? Right, so it's an interesting evolutionary modification. Um, I, I wish I knew more about the, I guess, the origin of shells because you see that snails, you know, they occur in so many different types of environments that, you know, having a shell must be a successful body um, for them to continually do this for, for millions of years um, that you can see all throughout the fossil record. And so I'm not really sure what the ultimate origin of shells are, but I know that uh, they, so snails internally have uh, this kind of singular soft body mass inside the shell which is you know thereby protected by the formation of the shell so the shell is really just a single secretion from the what's called the mantle of the soft body and so they really just kind of like uh i want to say it's analogous to like us growing fingernails or uh, elephants growing tusks you know it's, it's really just part of the animal that's just a singular growth around uh, the soft body of the animal. And then the other two components of the body are really just kind of uh, the head and the foot um, that, that facilitates locomotion. Is it, is and it so... It is. Huh. All right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, thank you for that question. Um, this is an interesting question I've seen a couple times as well. We have time for a couple more here. Riz asked, why do snails come out after it rains? Uh, they're very successful in moist environments. That's why they're particularly biodiverse in, in tropical rainforest environments uh, and ecosystems that are similar to that in, in, in tropical ecosystems. And so um, they like moisture. They need moisture in order to, uh, to get out and forage, to move around. Um, having a moist, a moist forest floor uh, facilitates them having to expend less mucus, which is energetically favorable, and so they can get around easier. And uh, yeah, I, I think similar to amphibians, they, they need a constant coating of moisture in order to, uh, to facilitate moving and to do all of their uh, kind of fundamental 
functionalities. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Echo, thank you for the $6. Um, we're at $1,140 flat. Um, so thank you for those donations. Um, we have a couple questions about freshwater snails being deadly to humans. Which snails are poisonous? Are snails poisonous? Are snails deadly? Do you want to talk sure. Um, I don't think that there are any freshwater species that are venomous or poisonous to humans that I'm aware of. Um, there are, however, a group of marine species called cone snails, or at least those are the ones that I'm familiar with, that are incredibly venomous and can kill humans in you know, a matter of minutes. Oh. Um, and they, they use this kind of paralytic venom to, you know, to stun their prey and then you know, they just kind of slow, you know, climb over them and eat them. And so, yeah, we use a lot of uh, cone snail uh, type venom in human medications um, that help with, uh, I, I think, mostly kind of pain relieving medications. Huh. That's super interesting. I didn't know that either. Um, okay, thank you for that question. So um, I'll ask. Okay, let's do one more chat question, then I'll ask the, the question that I usually ask people at the end of the podcast. Um, you asked, what should you do if snails eat your plants? Um, I think that there are solutions for, uh, you know, keeping snails away from your plants. I think that there's a type of maybe wood that you can use around garden boxes that snails don't particularly like. Uh -huh. um, you can just, you know, pick them up and remove them, you know, kind of bring them off to another part of your backyard. Um, I think I, it's, it's funny. I'm not, uh, I guess, a big gardener because I live in an apartment, but almost every person who thinks of snails thinks of snails in terms of gardening. Um, and I just never really think about it like that. But I would just say grab them and put them somewhere else. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, perfect. Also, quick one. A couple people have asked where they can get your shirt. Oh, uh, so uh, I, I want to get this right. So there is an artist that does incredible work just like this um, for almost every animal you can think of. I was going to say it looks I so think, familiar on Twitter. Yeah, yes. it's, it's, I think the handle is it's P-I-K-A-O-L-E, um, I think. Yes. I, I, I could here, be mistaken. Chat, I'm going to link you here. Um, yeah, I've seen this on Twitter. They're so cute. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a few coffee mugs with similar designs um, at my apartment, and yeah, she uh, she does really cool work. That's awesome. Um, so let's tip another hundred dollars. So you tip three hundred dollars today. Um, so one thousand two hundred and forty dollars. Um, I'll close it up uh, by asking what I usually ask at the end of the podcast, and that is if people um, that are watching today. If they don't have the money to donate or they don't want to donate today and they're not doing research like you are, um, how can they support the conservation of snails, of mollusks in general? Right. So I, I think it's just about uh, that. I guess that brings me to uh, a, a quote that you have on your website, actually. I, I can't really uh, speak to it verbatim, but it's, it's something along the lines of you, you can't love what you don't know and you can't know what you don't understand. Something right. like that. And... And I think that's so incredibly relevant to why we should, you know, kind of learn about and appreciate invertebrate biodiversity. 
because we, you know, when you think of conservation efforts, you often think of tigers, rhinos, pandas, yeah, totally. um, these really big charismatic animals that we pour you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars into uh, their protection. And rightly so, because they're amazing animals. But 99% of all biodiversity is invertebrate biodiversity, which includes mollusks. And I would say just, you know, kind of learning, uh, you know, what specific species are, you know, having issues in your area. I, I, I'm almost certain that whatever state you live in, if you're in the U.S., there are a handful of freshwater snails and maybe a handful of land snails that are just on the brink of extinction. And there are constantly... Uh, pulls of citizen science efforts to, uh, if you can't donate, you can come out and assist in survey efforts. Really, you can just go out on a hike and maybe document species that you find with uh, an app you download on your phone called iNaturalist. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many ways that you can just learn more about these animals and, uh, and really get to appreciate them because they unfortunately won't be around right. much longer if current trends continue. Wonderful. Um, Echo tip. 542 James with a dollar 53 Danny with nine dollars um, 1256 dollars thank you guys so much um, for those donations they help a lot um, again super super glad to have you on today to talk about that I think a lot of people learned a lot um, and a lot of people had no idea including myself that uh, there were so many conservation challenges that um, these species were facing so I appreciate you bringing that to light today of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I will uh, send you the total amount once I finish up here today, and I'll I'll DM you on Twitter all the other information. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Nick. You as well. Take care. All right. You too. Yay, snails! <laughs> Sluz came in today. Came in clutch today with three hundred dollars. That's insane. Um, $1,256, Twitch is an untapped reservoir for doing good, let's get it out of the way, uh, at the beginning. Tons of good questions today, so much information, Haste, you're absolutely right. Um, I said it, I've said it, this is my third time saying it now, I just love the podcast where we get to talk about things that we don't usually think about, you know? Like, people think conservation and they think the, the big mammals, right? They think pandas and they think polar bears and they think snow leopards and whatever, which are all so fantastic, but we don't think about, um, we don't think about species like this often. So that was really cool. I was really excited about, um, about learning about that today. That was neat. And he used the quote. Yeah, it's not my quote, <laughs> but it is what it is easily one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I've never thought about snails before. I hardly have either. Um, and those invasive species that we talked about, remember the IRL that I did at, at the lake, um, those things were all over uh, the Asian clams and the zebra mussels. Um, we saw those. So that's crazy. Anonymous tipped $200. Holy moly. $1,456, sir. Thank you for the sub. Um, that's big time. Very cool, very exciting. Um, they're the only organization that I know of, uh, I, there may be more, but that is dedicated to, uh, freshwater mollusk conservation. Um, so I'm really glad that we're able to support them today so they can get the word out there. I think what Nick said is super accurate, um, and that the more people that know about, uh, the issues that, that, uh, mollusks face, the more people that'll care, um, about those issues. So, uh, this organization is dedicated to exactly that. 
So I appreciate your donations today. I hope that that goes a long way for them um, in spreading the word. I appreciate you guys being here for, uh, for spreading the word. Why are you saying 61K? Is that what's been raised on the podcast? Mac, thank you for the $5. Yeah, big time. Let's go. That's sick. Um, for organizations across the board. All right. So, people claps in chat for Chuck because we have written... Chuck has written our questions for the quiz today. Um... I am going to through and make sure that the quiz kit is working because sometimes it does not work. Oh gosh. Oh no. Okay. Um, sorry, ignore that. Quiz kit. So the way that the quiz works, if you haven't been here, but I'm pretty sure you guys have been here. Um, it is five questions. It's based off the conversation that I had with Nick today. It's not hard. It's not trick questions. They're multiple choice. Um, there's 20 seconds per question. You have to click the correct answer the fastest to get the most points. Um, and whoever has the most points at the end of the quiz wins. Um, if you win the quiz, if you're not already subbed to my channel, I'll gift you a sub to this channel. If you are already subbed, I will gift you a sub to any channel that you want or you can... Um, you can ask for me to donate an additional $5 to uh, FMCS today. He did put, uh, he did mention a lot of statistics. So, maybe this will be a tough one. We'll see. Get ready. All right, chat. Um, make sure you click enable access um, so that I know who you are if you win the quiz. Um, you can do command quiz if you'd like some more instructions for that. I will be back in a couple minutes. I just need to create it on my end and then send it over to you guys. All right, hold on.
Are you ready for a quiz? All right, I will read out um, the questions before I give them to you or before the quiz sends them to you. Here we go. Um, the quiz is a little tough, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, it's a little tough because there are a lot of numbers, but uh, it'll be a good one. Are you ready? The first question then is, which of these mollusk species is a gastropod? AVG, thanks for the 1283 conch with a dollar 17. Appreciate it. <laughs> Samson, thank you for the four months. It's sending rules to you guys. Which of these mollusk species is a gastropod? Is it a mussel? Is, a, is it a snail? Is it a clam? Or an octopus? So lots of people are saying too easy. A lot of people I think are guessing. A lot of people are saying octopus in chat, which I don't know why you're putting your answers in chat unless you're trying to throw other people off because Conch with the dollar seventeen. An octopus is a cephalopod. A snail is a gastropod. So 185 people got that correct. Well done. Can I help you? I'm kind of busy. I'm working. Okay. Okay. Get off. Off. Next question. <laughs> how many species? How many freshwater snail species does North America have? Is it 200? Is it 700? Is it 1,000? Or is it 40,000? At least three. Yeah, so in North America, how many freshwater snail species are there? Some people are saying the correct answer. Correct answer. I forgot to show the scores, I'm sorry. I panicked for a second. For this reason maverick the correct answer is 700 species in north america a hundred and forty one people got that correct who got it correct the fastest lil brown then contestant number 31 then warber but Ivory is in the lead, followed by Squid, followed by Dibs. The next question is, what invasive species wiped out 75% <laughs> of Hawaiian land snails? Is it salt? Oh. Is it a uh, clam? Is it the giant African land snail, or is it a rosy wolf snail? The correct answer is the rosy wolf snail. 
147 people got that correct, and a few people, uh, actually, more people got it incorrect. Um, so, the giant African land snail was an invasive species in Hawaii, um, but they introduced the, the rosy wolf snail uh, to curtail the population of the giant African land snail, expecting those rosy, rosy wolf snails to eat the giant African land snails, but instead, they started eating native uh, Hawaiian species of land snails or tree snails, so... That was a tough one. Who got that right the fastest space? Well done. Um, shock and then try, but oh, Adeline is in the lead, followed, followed by Dibs, followed by a name that I'm not going to say on the podcast. The next question is approximately how many freshwater snail species are there worldwide? Worldwide. Is it 200? Is it 10,000? Is it 4,000? Or is it 9,500 species? This is a tough one. The correct answer is 4,000. 179 people got that right. Well done. Tough question. All right. Who got that right the fastest? G. Birdle. Birdle. SMK. And then U. But, oh, Adeline is still in the league. And then... Dibs and then side ramen is climbing up followed by warber and crowway good stuff last question is a true false question so you got 50 50 on this one because it was a relatively hard quiz um the question is or the true false question the statement is mollusks are the most imperiled species worldwide true or false Do not click the two options that say don't click. Who got that right the fastest? Who is the fastest clicker here? Because the correct answer is true. Two hundred ninety-seven people got that correct. Fifty-four. Okay. Who got it right the fastest? Let's see. Oh, who won? Dibs. Nice. Side ramen came in close. Warber climbed above. Crowway. All right, Dibs. What you got, dude? I don't know if you subbed or not. He's not a sub. All right, let's go. I need his uh, username. 
Can you type his username? Is it? It's Dibso too. Cool. All right. Congratulations, Dibs, on winning the quiz. Cal with ten dollars. Um, speaking of ten dollars, he said what? Okay. Um. Close. Okay. Cal, Cal tipped $10. Cal, thank you for tipping $10. Speaking of $10, Locke, if you're around, could you add an additional $10 to um, our total today? I appreciate that. All right. Um, today is uh, our, our podcast today is sponsored by Fireball. Um, welcome to Fireball Friday, hashtag Fireball Friday, hashtag Fireball Partner. Um, you can, Alex, thank you for the $5. Um, you can go to my social media. You can go to MayaHiga6 on Twitter, or, um, you can go to Maya underscore Higa on Instagram and swipe up for that link if you would like more information. Um... You gotta make the DM thing like 50 or higher. Uh, it's too early in the morning. It is 3.18 in the afternoon. It's still damn early, but it's not the morning. Happy Fireball Friday. Don't look at the, it's a full shot. Check that out. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Fireball, for uh, for supporting the stream today. I have an announcement. <clears throat> Do you guys remember um, the Peregrine Prairie Falcon Hybrid that flew into a prison? <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of yeses. I'm just gonna ex walk through the whole thing. Um, I work at a wildlife rehab center. I got a call from my coworker. She said they found this peregrine falcon at a prison and it has a camera strapped to it and it's in the prison. And I was like, okay, um, <laughs> are you sure it's a camera? Um, do have they captured it? And she's like, yeah, the guard just picked it up. It was a bird that, so it was a falconer's bird that got caught in a wind draft and, and um, took off. And it was telemetry that was that was strapped to his back, so transmitter receiver. Um, and it wasn't a camera, but the bird flew into a prison and was pecking at the guard's feet for food because he was hungry. Um, he is a third year peregrine prairie falcon hybrid. Um, I located the owner through Facebook, actually. Uh, Echo with the $50, well, $49.93. Thank you so much. So I located the owner through Facebook, um, met up with the owner to return the bird. 
when I returned the bird, he asked if I was flying anything. Um, and I said, not currently because I do, uh, rehab. And he asked if I wanted the bird. And I thought about it a lot and I was like, I just don't know that I have time because sometimes I have two rehab birds in at the same time, you know, like I, I don't want to put a bird like that on a back burner. Um, cause they're just, it's just like a really special bird, like hybrids like that are nice birds. Um, peregrines are, you guys all know about peregrines and how they're super, super fast and, and prairie falcons are, uh, really hardy. So they're a good mix of birds, but so he texted me this morning, the falconer texted me this morning, and he said he's got a bum eye and a bum wing, um, and he's just not a good candidate for hunting. Do you guys, do you want him? Um, and his wing is okay. He's perfectly flight capable. He may have lost partial vision in one of his eyes, but he's perfectly flight capable. He's capable of hunting as well. It's just this falconer is a really serious hunter. He hunts with his own cast of a group of peregrine prairies uh, that he's bred for himself, and he only wants top-notch birds to fly in his cast. So he asked, he said that he needs a forever home. And I had the same answer. I was like, I don't know if I can take a bird all on my own right now. Um, but I called the center um, and asked if, because he's, because this bird uh, is in need of sanctuary, because it's, it's not 100%, um, would you guys be interested in, in having him as an ambassador for the center? Um, and they said yes. So the plan for this bird is he's going to be transferred to the center on Monday morning. Um, he's going to be under the permit centers, or under the, the center's permits um, as an educational ambassador. But I am going to uh, renew my falconry license and put this bird on my falconry license. And I will train him both as an educational ambassador and as my own personal falconry bird. So I'll fly him and hunt him. Um, primarily for his enrichment and so that I can continue um, doing falconry because I really, really miss having a bird a lot. Um, so I'll train him as an ambassador and I'll do, I'll fly him for, I'll fly him and hunt him for, uh, hunt with him for, for his enrichment. That's the plan. If it's already three, what's his name? You know, honestly, I've never, I never asked and he never told me. I don't know that he has one, um, but even if he does, I may rename, I don't know. I don't know what the name is. I can show you um, a picture. I have some pictures of him. I'm not naming him Lamont. I'm not losing that bird the first time I free fly. Uh-uh. Here he is. I guess I, like, my first stream, that's the um, transmitter that's on his back that they thought was a camera. It's not a camera. This is how big he is. I'm holding him in this picture. I'm the one wearing white. It's hard to see. You can see my blinds. I'm the one wearing white in this picture, so that's how big he is. Um, can you guys imagine I name him Lamont? I stream the first time, I free fly him, and he flies away, and the whole chat is just L's, and I'm like on my knees crying. <laughs> okay. Um, <coughs> it looks like a Kestrel. No, it's, it's quite a bit bigger. Um, then I guess name him Jail. Okay, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> um, bird is coming on. Um, bird is coming. Sorry, is my brain. Um, bird is coming on Monday. Uh, Monday morning. So. You're fine, Danny. 
Um, Bird is coming Monday morning, um, and I'm going to get him all set up there. I'm going to start training uh, pretty much right away, right off the bat. Uh, I will formulate a training plan and an enrichment plan program um, for the bird. So I'm, I'm really, really, really excited about that. I'm really excited to, to have a bird again um, because I've really missed flying. Um, there, I mean, flying with rehab birds is one thing. Flying on a creance and, you know, just doing it for condition is, it's, it's cool, but it's not falconry. Um, so, yeah, I'm hyped. <coughs> okay. So, there is a, a new YouTube video. Um, that is going up. You may be wondering, what the heck? You just posted a YouTube video. Yeah, we're posting another one. Let's go, Danny. Um, so it's a good, it's a good one. It's, it's, uh, TikTok. So, so you guys will really enjoy it. YouTube will really enjoy it. YouTube will really enjoy it. Um, so yeah, Danny, thanks for doing that. Um, is it, I don't know if it's up yet. It might not be up yet, but he's done with it, so... Um, if it's not up, I'll chill for a second. Um, other things to talk about. It's already Friday. Um, I actually got through that week pretty smooth, even though I had a lot to do this week. So it's been really fun and it's not even Halloween yet, even though this whole week has been like Halloween stuff. Um, tomorrow is Halloween. Tomorrow we start early on Crazy Slick Stream. Uh, doing a cooking stream. Nick and Milena are doing like the same thing. So we're gonna have a ton of Halloween food. Tara, thank you for the 16. Tier 2 with the 16, thank you. Um, so Nick and Milena are doing the same thing, making like cute Halloween foods. So we're gonna have a ton of Halloween food all day tomorrow, I guess, which is kind of fun. Um, but I'm gonna be on Slickstream. I would love for you to be there uh, so that it's a lot of my chat and not necessarily all Slick's chat. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so we're doing that probably starting around 10 a.m. Um, I think starting at 10 a.m. We're going to go to the grocery store at like 9. So it'll be kind of EU because uh, we got to start early for the OTK uh, costume contest stream because that's starting, um, I think, at noon. So... That's the plan for tomorrow. Lots of OTK stuff at the house tomorrow. It's going to be super, super fun. Um, yes, we are going off of Woog's list. I've I have uh, selected, or we have selected four things. It's me, Simply, and Slick. We chose all the stuff yesterday and made a grocery list. So it'll be uh, tomorrow morning. We'll, we'll all do that on Slickstream. He's setting up his PC. It's not going to be too scuffed. It'll be a good time. I'm, I'm super excited. So that's for tomorrow. Um, and then OTK stuff tomorrow, OTK Halloween stuff tomorrow. Nice. Um, then Sunday, Greek is coming to the barn, uh, to meet and ride my horse. So I'll be IRLing on Sunday as well. Um, and then otherwise on Sunday, I'll just be at the center setting up for the new bird. Um, and I ordered the big enclosure for the rehab room um today 6k ordered it um so 
Let's go. And then I also put in an order for the bird, uh, the bird enclosures, which is coming out to be 1700, what, 1770, so like 1800, whatever. Um, and I just have to send a check. Uh, so the enclosures are, are pretty much taken care of. No, I did not get the background. Um, I'm going to put self-adhesive wallpaper on it instead. Legitimate investments, let's go. Um, legitimate in investments, Drake. Yeah, very short anecdote here today. I said it on Matt's stream, but we have a new volunteer at the center who, if you're here right now, this is really weird. Um, but he came into the center and he was like, uh, I couldn't, like, I couldn't reach you on your phone, so I, I looked you up on Insta so I could DM you on Instagram. He's, like, a freshman in college. Um, and he was like, and then I saw that you had a check mark, and I was like, what the heck? So then I Googled you, and then I saw your Twitch channel, and so I clicked on it, and it was, I saw some of the conservation cast, and then I got another notification later that you were live, but then I clicked into it, and it was a bunch of girls talking, and it was called Housewives, and he was like, this isn't the conservation cast, and I was like, no, no, like, did you watch it? And he was like, yeah, um, I don't know what I would do in that situation if someone jumped out on the street in the forest, and I was like, no! <laughs> Um, so he really did watch it, and then I was like, do you watch Twitch at all? And he was like, no, I don't understand chat at all. All I saw was people just saying Drake. Like, who is that? Like, why Why were they doing that? And I was like, I can't. Okay. Um, so anyway, that was, that's the short anecdote. Um, th so that'll be a good time. Uh, I feel like I have lots to tell you guys because I haven't really been at my desktop, but it's the podcast. See what? Thank you for the eight months. Um, it's a podcast, so we'll talk about it, uh, another time when I'm, when I'm on my normal stream, but I appreciate you guys being here. Um, I very much appreciate the, the viewership on the podcast lately. I know it's gone up a ton since the podcast has ended, but, um, I appreciate throughout the podcast that you guys stay and watch. Um, it means a lot to me whenever I talk to people about my, my streaming stuff and, and my, my channel as a whole, I always say that the podcast is my focus um, and is my purpose on this platform. Um, it is the most important thing to me, so if you support it, I really, really appreciate it. Nemo, thank you for the $3. The Sun, $1,554.10. Beautiful. Um, I'm going to host... Actually, I'm going to host Jack. Um, I raid simply all the time. Um, I'm going to raid Jack Septicai because he was very nice um, to me and he raided me recently. So uh, we're going to do that. Oh, no. Yeah, outro. Sorry. Um, command video. YouTube video is up. Go watch it. If you're not going to watch it, go like it for me. Go comment yo something. Um, it helps us out a lot. Uh, thank you, Danny, for, for grinding and for putting out another video uh, two weeks in a row. That's good stuff. I appreciate it. Um, I will see you guys tonight on Mrs. Stream. We're doing a drinking stream like the past two Fridays. It's it's good times. It's, it's good vibes. So go check that out tonight. I won't put that in my Discord because it feels 
I don't know, it feels redundant, but I'll be there tonight. We're starting at like 7 or 8 p.m. So I'll keep you guys posted with the bird stuff. Super, super, super excited. I'm so excited. Um, and yeah, I'll see you tonight and then I'll see you tomorrow morning on Slickstream. I will put that in my Discord, so you'll get a notification if you're uh, in my Discord. Peace. Sorry about the outro. Um, I'm going to get off. I'm actually going to go vote right now. If you haven't voted, go vote. It's the last day for early voting in Texas. Bye.